Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. This afternoon, I, I am going to do a little bit more of um, that creative, you can already see I've played. How many of you just found singing was amazing? singing different ways and often during worship i'd really encourage you to do that is sing to god and sometimes even you know because we sing the songs again in your mind sing it to the land sing it over a person sing it over someone who needs to be touched you know he's all i need come on sweetheart i'm singing this over you he is all you need Jesus is all you need right now. I'm singing this song. and we, So we can make our worship a prayer. We can make it incense in the presence of God. And often we can be lazy in the use of our words. And so what I was trying to show you is how to actually focus and be more intentional with our language. So that even when we're worshiping, we can be intentional of worshiping Jesus. But then as we're in the presence of God, he turns us around and he gives us a song over the land. We sing to the name. And how many of you found that quite moving? And you begin singing over it. And you can suddenly find, actually, he stirs and you think, oh, I can't pray, I can't sing. And it's amazing what you can do. And I'm sure if I said to you, you're all going to prophesy now, some of you have gone, oh, I don't do that. But how many of you found you did? That's what you did. You prophesied. You took a word and you spoke. You foretold the good news, which is to prophesy. So this afternoon, I'm I'm going to do, really I've called it increasing prophetic um, accuracy and thing. don't know have I got the slide is it there if there is a PowerPoint and I I just want to ask a simple question can I recognize a prophet can I recognize a prophet or a prophetic ministry and what do we mean you know by the prophetic do we mean um pathetic you see I mean I was being naughty with Paul last night I said am I a prophet and he looked a bit freaked out, which I would too if someone did that to me because I don't think it's very appropriate. Because do I carry a prophetic anointing? You see, God gives us gifts. So the gifts of God are given and we can recognize, do I have a gift of compassion? Do I have a gift of teaching? Do I have a prophetic? I do believe I have a prophetic gift. Am I a prophet? Yes and no. What do I mean by that? Well, God ordains but man appoints and so you see I'm a prophet where a man has appointed me to a governmental position I can be a prophet so when people come up to me and say well I'm a prophet I always sort of take a step back and think but not to me unless I know them because we have that incredible honor because God is so amazing because even with him He doesn't make us Christians. We have the honor of inviting him and letting him be Lord of our life. He doesn't come straight up to you, I'm Lord of Lords. He says, I'm Jesus who loves you, died for you. And then we make the decision, yes, and I make you Lord of Lords. Isn't God amazing? So we need to be like Jesus in that. So how do we recognize a prophet? Well, I've gone on a slight trail, but... It's language, really. 
So I'm going to change the language a bit. How do we recognize the prophetic anointing in a house? I'll use that rather. What does it? I think three things should happen when there's a prophetic anointing in a house. And if that prophetic anointing comes to your house enough, sometimes then the leadership might say, we need that to help us be directed. Will you be a prophet? Do, do you get what I mean? That to me is a transition. What happens with the prophetic anointing? Number one, I believe it releases an atmosphere of revelation. The job of a prophet or the prophetic is, hopefully you even will walk out of today, I prophesied over Beth individually, and I pray that that word meant something to her. But I pray every single one of you have been under a prophetic anointing, and you will walk out of this with a clarity that says, oh, now I see. I get that. I didn't understand that. When you're under a prophetic anointing, something in you wakes up because we're made to be seers. And, the, and it's like the prophet's job is to open your eyes. The, sh- the pastor's job is to open your heart. The evangelist's job is to get your feet going. The apostle's job is to train your hands to build. The teacher's job is to train your mind. Five gifts, best of five. And you need to eat five a day to be healthy in church. And too often we don't have five in the day. And so, we, you see, if we walk around blind in our Christian life, no wonder we bump into a lot of things. We need a prophetic anointing. We need that clarity that suddenly says, oh, now I see. It makes sense. I can see and understand what is happening around. I spoke about perspective this morning. I spoke about Brexit. And how many of you saw, oh, that's a different perspective? That's a different way of talking now. You see, now I see. A prophet, prophetic anointing should bring atmospheres of revelation. What I love about Jesus is he's so amazing that often I preach and I can be at the door and someone will come up to me and say, oh, Rachel, that was fantastic. I never understood this. And they'll go, do, 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 do. And now I get it and I think, I never said that. I know I didn't say that, but Jesus said that, and I agree with you. That is amazing, but I know I didn't preach it, but I like it. (laughs) And when you're in, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You can be in that atmosphere, and suddenly you're getting downloads, connections. Now I see. Now I understand. Now I know what's happening. You don't necessarily need to receive an individualistic prophetic word, but the very atmosphere will give you a context, an explanation, and a security, and, an, and a building of hope. Now I know, now I can see. Amen? So how, that is our job. So are we all going as prophets? No, but I all believe every single one of us go out as prophetic people. Do, do you get what I mean? We carry a sound. We carry a voice. And actually, as we do that, it's what I was saying, we shift our culture. People go, what are you on? I get stopped all the time. Because they say, what is it? Because I'll just say something. How did you know that? I am intentional. I'll see someone who's waiting on me, and I say, you know what, sweetheart? God wants you to have a good day today, not like yesterday. She said, how did you know? Yesterday was mm, bad. And I said, because Jesus just said he wants to give you an upgrade today. She said, I need it. I've had it again and again, people filled with tears. Isn't it? And I love it. I love making people think, whoa, God is watching me. 
Come on, how many of you believe we could do that? How many of you look around and see someone who looks a bit fearful or looks a bit tired or looks a bit depressed? And actually, if you sent a word... So carrying that prophetic atmosphere means we release an atmosphere of revelation. Number two, I believe being in a prophetic atmosphere brings understanding of your journey and your destiny of life. One of the ways I put this one, they sound similar, but they are slightly different. It gives context. Maybe I'll put it this way. Being in a prophetic atmosphere gives context. In the way I like to put it, you suddenly have an aha moment. You go, oh, now I get it. This is that. God joins all the dots up. You think you've been living in this whirlpool of a mess. And everything's been kicking off. And then suddenly you have that aha moment when God goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you think, oh, now I see. It's like join up all the dots. And you thought you were making a polar bear. And suddenly it isn't. It's a whale. You can see I've been with my grandchildren trying to join it up and guessing what the animal is. I've oh, got that one wrong as I'm coloring it blue. <laughs> And many of us go through life like that. We're trying to guess the dots and we're thinking, what in the world is going on? And I feel scared. And suddenly we have a, aha, context. Oh, this is that which the prophet spoke of. Remember Peter, Acts chapter 2, verse 11. He stood up with the 11 and he said, oh, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. Everyone else is saying, what in the world? All these guys are drunk, nine o'clock in the morning. They're babbling pointlessly in languages we don't understand. What is carrying on? And Peter stood up, prophetic anointing. And everyone goes, oh, this is that. Yeah, we get it now. You see, you might wonder what in the world has been going on in your life. But I do believe that God sent Gordon and I up here this weekend to give you a this is that moment. To put some full stops for you. Where you've just been feeling my life is running away. I'm scared. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Stop. Omega. When I preached that this morning. Omega. Some of you have had doors closed. Bang, bang. Thought, what is going on? I'm in shutdown, shutdown. God says, no. I've shut some doors to give you capacity to open some doors so you can step into a new threshold and a whole new way of what you're doing. And so it's that this is that. that how many of you know what I'm talking about? You come to this thing, you think, where in the world has God gone? And we need those prophetic moments where suddenly someone stands up and says, this is that. And maybe I can prophesy like I'm Jeremy. But how many of you also know as you listen to it, part of you is just feeling the prophetic thing. You think, no, I can see, I can trust, I'm encouraged, it's going to work out. So pull it down for you. If you're in that place, Father, right now, we just receive the revelation of, okay, God, this is that. We know that you can craft the way for us. You've got all things together in your hands. We thank you right now that in all the confusion, whew, this is that in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that good? Does that make sense? So in, how many of you recognize that in prophetic atmospheres? Revelation, this is that. The third one I want to give is you're able to help. I believe the prophetic is able to help and teach the discernment 
we're giving different spiritual gifts, but I believe one of the prophet's roles is to help train the church in the spirit of discernment. So what is discernment? Literally, it means to be able to discern both the angelic and the demonic. Gordon chatted a little bit about the demonic. Now, you've got to remember, I'm a mishkid from India, and I grew up in Africa, didn't live here until I was 30. So in my spirituality, I am very much more aware and used to having a demonic world as well as an angelic world. I could tell you stories of angels. I can tell you stories of demons. I remember when we were living in Nairobi, Kenya, when my son David was about 18 months. So it would be 1988. We were in Mombasa, and we were doing a crusade with Reinhard Bonker. And David, my little boy, 18 months old, was diagnosed with cerebral malaria. That kills children under three years old. And we were in Mombasa, had done the blood slides, everything. David was temperature off the charts, screaming. I mean, that is incredibly painful. The whole of the spinal fluid in the cerebral brain is infected with parasites. And I'm going to lose David. He's going to die unless I have an absolute miracle. And with CFAN, Christ Foundation team, we all pray for him. Gordon has to stay there because we're doing the, we have literally fought tooth and nail to do a crusade right in this Islamic city of Mombasa. God's given us the things. Gordon can't leave. So I, we have just been delivered, thank you Germany, a brand new Toyota Land Cruiser with air conditioning. And so there's nothing for it. The only place he can go is back to Nairobi, six and a half hours drive on a not very great road. But with that Toyota Land, that was a workhorse, I can tell you. You could do it. So I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, Nicola. Can't leave her with Gordon, so I thought, well, she's got to come. So she said to me, Mom, shut him up. He's hurting my ears. <laughs> and I just literally had to put earplugs on and drive. And poor David, I couldn't hold him. And drive, and I'm just driving, driving, driving. I get to the Rift Valley, just coming up the Rift Valley into Nairobi, nearly there, roadblocks. Two guys with guns come out of the hedges, gun through the window at my head, pulling me out, because my car has still got German plates on. And so you used to love to hijack the cars because they could sell them because we hadn't yet registered it in Kenya because it's brand new out of the ship. And I'd heard about it. And so I literally get out, gun to my head, and I managed to get this crazy thing to do. I got the keys in my hand. I had them in tight fist at the back. This gun that I had, this guy on the other side of the car, you can hear the kids screaming. I looked at me, I said, I'm a mama. In Africa, you appeal to the family, I'm a mama. My boy there is dying of malaria. They know malaria. And I said, look, we've come. We're missionaries. We work with you. We have hospitals. We care for your children. Make sure they don't die. Let me take my baby boy to the hospital so he doesn't die. Listen to me. So the other boy is saying, and I can understand the Swahili going back, saying, let her go. She's mama, you know, leave it, leave it, let her go. And there now, I bought the division. So he's now gone to sit on the bank with his gun. He's not at me. So I've got one still there. I said, listen to me. Let me go. And as he's at my face like this, so he's at my face strongly with the thing. This other man comes behind this man. He literally puts his hand on, on the soldier saying, says, excuse me, what are you doing to this woman? It might sound really weird, but he looked like 
a Mormon missionary. <laughs> but he, what I mean is he looked blonde, blue-eyed, clean-cut, beautifully presented. And I just thought, where did you come from? Because And I'm so concentrating on this guy with a gun to my head. And I'm so grateful because he's quite big. He's about six six. He's quite a dude. And he was American. He sounded American to me. And he's like, at this guy. So he says to this guy, get in the car and we'll drive to Nangong, which was just up the road. And then let her get to hospital. Then you can sort out what you want to do. And he did. He got in the car. And my Mormon missionary friend, inverted commas, got in the back of the car, picked up David, who never, he was at that age, thank you, Gordon, that know my angel and my demon all in one. <laughs> um, he, he was at that age where he just didn't let anyone hold him, especially strange men. But this guy picked David up, put him on the lap, and we drove, and then he started giving me directions. He said, this is a better way to drive. Drive here, drive there, up this route, this, there. And so we're driving, this guy's sitting in the front, still got the gun sort of across his lap at me. And suddenly I realized he's taken me into a back entrance that I didn't even know existed of the police compound on the top of Nairobi Hospital, which was the watch out, the thing. And suddenly I'm surrounded because they see, as I come through the watchtower gate, they see the guy with a gun at my head. So the, my car is immediately surrounded by police. They grab this guy out, etc., take him off. And the mama who comes, the police sergeant in charge of this area, comes out, happens to be the woman we've been dealing with in charge of all our security for the Reinhardt Bonker Crusade, so she knows me. I mean, how does Jesus do this? And so then I say to the gate, because I go in and have to do the paperwork, this guy gets carted off to jail, and apparently they were all across the border from Tanzania, and there's a whole gang of them hijacking cars and murdering. People have been killed along the Rift Valley. Several missionaries, actually, were killed. And so I go back to my car and begin to drive, and then when I get to the gate, the watch gate, I say to the guy, where's the Mzungu? Where's the white man who was in the car with me? And she says, no, Mama. I said, no, there was a Mzungu sitting holding my baby. Because he had gone when I got back to my... He said, no, there was no one with you. You just had the man with a gun to you. I did you drove. And they come I said, no, there wasn't. There wasn't a man. He said, no, mama. And I suddenly realized he was an angel. I got to Nairobi Hospital, gave my son with all the documents. They said, he's absolutely healed, temperature normal. He's never had malaria again. He's alive today, 31 years old, and got to show him, isn't Jesus wonderful? <laughs> Angels are more than Christmas cards. And the Bible says that they live in England too. And often we hear the African stories, and I could tell you stories of angels in this country. I remember the Dale's Bible Week when I was 17 years old. A man called Ern Baxter was preaching up in, just outside Halifax in the Dale's Bible Week there. And we heard the angels singing. There are angels around. I believe we need to awaken our expectancy that there are angels all around. We often sing, heaven is roaring. Can you hear heaven roaring on your behalf? I believe, and I often do, I say, Father, I need angelic help. You know, Daniel, when he was going through hell and, it, and he was trembling, it says, the angel of the Lord strengthened him. God, I need angels to strengthen me. I've been, I don't know if any of you have had the horrible flu and the stuff. I've had it again and again. 
I've been borderline pneumonia again and again. I'm still struggling a bit. And again and again, I find long days where I do four sessions and things. Like today will be a challenge. It'll be the first day I've done this so much by myself. Because I have strong pneumonia. I go for Jesus, I need angels. Strengthen me. Keep me anointed. Keep me focused. Don't let me get weary. Come on, how many? We need to come on. The prophet's there to say, discern. Who are you? Where is heaven? What do you need? Why are we so independent? Why do we try to do it alone? When we can't do it, God says, I can help you. And he's not only given us the Holy Spirit, but he has given us angelic assistance too. My Bible says he's given both and. It's not either or. Now we're charismatic. It isn't that we only get Holy Spirit and no angels. Do you agree with me? The Bible still says there's angels, but we are very bad. I had a young Christian who was in our Alpha course. She came and she said, Rachel, I don't know if this is a vision, but I saw these huge dudes. They were like massive things of light. They were so high up and they were standing all the way around our church. But she said it was like, and she's pointed at these ledges and it would be like up here. And she said they were just leaning against the wall and they had their elbows on the ledges. So you imagine huge dude angels all around here. And she said they looked so bored. They were trying not to sleep. So I said, what do you think it meant? She said, I don't know. But she said, I just kept feeling, give them some work. Give them some work. <laughs> Come on. It says, if you read all the parables of Matthew, especially in the last days, the angels will be sent out into the harvest fields. Come on. How many of you want to see people born again? I am always saying, angels, where do I go? Where are you going? Who's the marked out one? Who... Come on, talk to God about your neighbor or your people and then talk to your neighbor about God. And as soon as I begin talking to my neighbors, I say, come on, angels, help me. Bring the presence of Jesus. Amen. So I want to wake you up to see your big angels. But discerning of spirits, what about demons? Is Dan Brown the only one that believes in angels and demons? <laughs> Do we believe that there are demons in Britain? Do they need a visa to get here? Unfortunately not. Brexit does not affect them. <laughs> we do have demons in England. Should we be scared of that? No. Should we be aware of it? Yes. You see, again, grew up in Africa. And I'm just going to do this just to make you think a little bit. But you see, I think that we are unaware of the demonic influence. We just think life is tough. Things are difficult. It's dark. It's hard. But I think that part of the prophet's anointing is saying, do you understand that there's something in the land? There are curses. The Bible very clearly says there's curses, but we don't understand how to undo curses. What are the curses? What are the Masonic curses, the witchcraft curses, the blood covenant curses that are literally in the land that can actually revolt and vomit us out? How do we deal with it? What do we do? That is, a, I believe, part of the prophetic mantle is to come and cleanse the land. You read Leviticus 18. You read the famous passage in Chronicles. If my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I will, number one, open up heaven. Number two, forgive your sin, reconciliation. 
Build all the bridges. You see, we have had a whole time of identification, reconciliation. I forgive you, you forgive me. Reconciliation, forgiveness between people. Number three, heal the land. How do we heal land? The prophets, the intercessors, people begin to recognize historical wounds and scars. And we go there and we bring the blood of Jesus that reverses every curse. I'll give you one more story and then we go to fish. How many could tell? We could teach all day. I'm just literally waking you up, making you think. I'm never going to finish this, but just to give you one more story. You see, in our culture in Britain, we were a biblical Bible foundation culture. Are we now? So have the foundations shifted? So what is being built into our foundations? If it's not God... There's only two kingdoms. <laughs> it isn't neutral. Do you get what I mean? So then it's of the kingdom of darkness. So demonic stuff is being infiltrated into the fabric and foundations of our cities, cultures, and land. What does it look like? Well, you see, when I lived in India, a Hindu temple looked like a Hindu temple. What is the favorite takeaway in England? Indian food. Did you know that nearly every Indian restaurant is a temple? I'm an Indian girl. You walk in next time you go and buy your takeaway, look behind the bar, what do they have? All the pictures. Krishna. Thing. They will have little incense, limbu, um, limbu pan, I'm speaking Hindi to you now, um, lemons and limes broken because they are to, for the spirits. They'll have their joysticks, they're burning. They'll have the garland around the pictures. Have you ever noticed that? Have a look next time you go. Nearly every Indian restaurant will have it. And so they are active places of idol worship. And then we wonder why there are certain parts of towns, usually where all the takeaways and everything are, they always feel a bit... How many know what I'm talking about? Why? Atmospheres. How many of you like Thai food? Go into Thai restaurants. How many of you notice you'll see the gods on the way in? Does that mean we shouldn't eat there? No, because if I'd lived in India or Africa and never eaten there, I'd be starving. No, what it means is we need to begin to recognize, take authority and shut. Often, when I go, because of my Indian background, I just stand there and as I see them, I say, blind your eyes, blind your eyes, blind your eyes. In the name of Jesus right now, you cannot see, you have no authority in this community. I shut you down in Jesus' name. But they know me and I know them. <laughs> Jesus I know, Paul I know. Who are you? Oh, oh I know you. We have to begin to gain an understanding. Do you get what I mean? There's certain things. And I'm going to finish with this story. House purchasing. Property purchasing. Business purchasing. Getting land. How many of you go, oh dear Jesus. How many of you are trying to get land and it's like hell? Trying to buy a place. Move into a house. Get things. Again and again, I think for the people of God, it's hard. How many have moved into a house and you've had trouble sleeping? Kids have had nightmares. Different stuff has happened. Stuff has gone on. Yeah, so many of you. You see, in India and in Africa, 
there is an absolute culture amongst Christians, as soon as you move territory, you cleanse the land. You see, we've never done it here because we have clean foundations. So we've always assumed when we buy a house, it's okay, we just move in, it will sleep. See, when I go into a hotel, Gordon and I, it's always like, Father, we just take authority, blind every spirit, every adultery, everything that's gone on, porn, the rest of it, because we know what hotels are. Shut it all down. We take this for the kingdom of God and put your presence here. Let the next person who comes have holy dreams and incredible things and feel bad about all their porn and nastiness. Amen. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? We just need to be intentional. Is that weird? Maybe. Is it correct? I would like to say yes. So I'll tell you one story as I close. I've got some fairly good friends. Known them a long time. Married, two great kids, great dog, lovely home. We do life with them quite a bit. Went to their house, flopped on their sofa. And I remember it was Christmas time. And she just looked at me. My friend looked at me. I'm going to call her Sarah, otherwise I'm going to say their names. Sarah. And she just looked at me. And she just said, oh, this is the best. Two and a half years later, they moved house. And I was with her. And she walked up to me. She said, Rachel, I need to tell you this because I owe it to you. But we're done. And we're getting a divorce. I just looked at her and said, no, you're not. I said, you owe me something more than that. She said, what do you mean? I said, you owe me three months. She said, what in the world? And I said, no, you give me three months. And I'm going to go through with you and find out what in the world is going on. And if I really can't find a spiritual route and it really can't be resolved, then we'll talk. But I said, you are not doing anything for three months. Please, let our friendship at least have that. She said, but Rachel, you don't understand. I said, it's much cheaper than a divorce. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, okay, I'll give you three months. And that three months I began to pray and I thought, what in the world? And I sat with her. Went through and I said, look, you've got the same kids. Your husband's got the same job. You've got, you're doing pretty well the same. Not a lot's changed. Why is what you're feeling changed so drastically? And if this is too much, I'm sorry, but this is life. She said, well, since we've moved there, we just seem to fight all the time. Every time we get into bed, we just row. We can't make love. It's just gone out of the thing. So for two and a half years, it's just been chronic. We just seem to get on each other's nerves. Money seems bad. The kids... I suppose they're okay, but nothing connects. Our whole house just feels disconnected, awkward. I'm done. I'm bored. I'm out of it. I'm fed up of arguing, fed up of shouting. I just need peace. We need, we, it, it's not working. I just need to accept it. So I said, fine. What happened two and a half years ago? Well, we tracked it back and go, what happened? What do you think happened? They moved house. So I said, come on, Sarah. I nearly said her name. Come on, Sarah. You moved house. Did you ever cleanse your house? She said, what do you mean cleanse the house? I said, have you ever prayed over the rooms? Have you ever taken oil and separated this boundary? Do you know who lived here before? Well, we found out they lived in an area which was Rudolf Steiner, which had all sorts of occultic stuff, all, um, all sorts of weird stuff. So I said, come on. I said, I want to bring in some of my friends so I said, you can go out, but I want you to leave me in the house and let us do anything that we feel we can do, which is appropriate under the presence of God. Do you trust me? She said, of course I trust you. So I said, so I went and found my big Nigerian mama. 
and, and her friend. Because I tell you one thing, precious Africans, they recognize spirits. And I said, I want to bring in my sniffer dogs. That's what I called them. You know, prophetic people understand atmospheres. Now, you might think I'm weird, but I tell you, all of you have sensed it, but maybe never logged it. How many of you have ever walked down a street and you've just gone, ooh, what's that? And you looked around, nothing's there, but you felt something was going to get you. That is sensing an atmosphere. How many of you have looked at people and seen a tormenting spirit? You've just seen it. You see, that is a demon. The, the, if translate Bible, demon, an absolute legitimate translation for the Greek, for demon, is tormenting spirit or evil spirit. But if I say to you, can you see a tormenting spirit? How many immediately say yes? If I said to you, how many see a demon? You go, ooh, I'm not sure. How many of you see an evil spirit? You see, we've got to be aware and not just delete, delete. We're in England and it's not very... Part of the prophetic noise, we've got to wake up and realize we're beginning the authority to reduce it. So go back to my story. So I bring in my wonderful Nigerian thing. And I told them nothing except this. I said, I've got friends that have moved into this place. And it's got a bit of history in the area with Udustan and stuff. They're not sleeping well. And the house has got a bad atmosphere. Can you help me? So my, especially my big Nigerian parent, she walks in the front door, gets in the door. She said, where's the bedroom? And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? She said, I want the master bedroom and I want it now. I can smell evil. She's up those stairs and she's about 350 pounds, up those stairs, through the doors. And she said, we need this up. Well, my friend had just redecorated all of her bedroom because she thought that might help. And the carpet is brand new thing. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. And I kept telling myself, it's cheaper than a divorce. It's cheaper than a divorce. <laughs> this Nigerian mama, she's down. She rips back the carpet. We get to this beautiful now um, underlay. She says, up, up. So we get back the underlay. She now wants the double bed on its end. We're ripping it back. And then there was this paper. There was like this thick sort of brown paper. That came up. On painted on the floor is, I curse this marriage. Painted on the floorboards. Nailed to the floor was all sorts of witchcraft, ancestral signs and stuff. I've never seen the like. And my mama is like, yes, Jesus name. We ripped this stuff up. And she, and she said, where's the wife? So I ring my friend. I said, I think you want to come and see this. She comes around the corner and she sees all the coffee. I said, Sarah, <laughs> it's cheaper than a divorce. <laughs> it's cheaper than a divorce. She come, I said, come here with me. She broke. We took that stuff out into the garden and we burnt it. It screamed. What I'm trying to say is we need to wake up. In our country, in our land, is disgusting stuff. And we just think, oh, well, it's culture, it's life, this is what's going on. But I believe that we need to wake up and really get in there. I could tell you story after story for the rest of the day of literally this sort of stuff. And part of the prophetic gift is to say, come on. This is not just about you. We have an enemy. And we need to learn our authority. Learn the angels are going to help us. But also learn how to overcome the enemy and all his works. End of story. They're still married. They're still happy. We still go have a great 
time with them. In fact, I was with them just recently. And she did what she always does. Kick back her head and just laugh. And she said, oh, I love it here. It's the greatest. And I could have sobbed. I thought, thank you, Jesus. Come on. Okay, you're going to stand with me. I thought I'd tell you some stories. Was that okay? And then we will finish on time because I won't worry too much about the last session. But I want you just to stand in the presence of God and ask him, God, let me see. I do believe that, as I said, the prophet's gift is to open the eyes. The pastor's gift is to open the heart. The apostolic gift is to train the hands to build and send. The evangelist's gift is to send the feet. You're always missional. Teacher's gift is to train the mind and inform you. But I believe I'm here to help you see. So Jesus, right now we pray for ISAV to help us see. You said in Revelation, you say we're rich, wealthy, but I say to you, you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, but I've got ISAV so that you can see. We're asking for Holy Spirit eyesight so we can see. We want to see beyond that which is seen. We want to see the angelic help to us. We want to see people, situations, things that are really bugging you, depressing you. Come on, Holy Spirit's here right now. Let us see. Give us revelation. Give us context and help us discern spiritual atmospheres. Right now, in Jesus' name, give us the spirit of wisdom to discern spiritual atmospheres. Open our eyes. Let us see. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you were worried about just me talking about the demonic and things like that. As we just close our eyes, if you just said, Rachel, I found that bit hard, but I, I need a bit of help. Thing. Just put your hand up as everyone else. I want to pray for you. If any of you did find that a bit hard, yeah. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just thank you for the presence of Holy Spirit that comes right now and breaks the power of every ancestral and other demonic stuff that just is difficult for people. And we ask you now today to begin a journey of freedom and help and peace in Jesus' name. I thank you that you're a good, good father. I thank you you take us out. You set us free. Yeah, just receive it. And Father, I thank you we don't need to be afraid. Jesus.